0: Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people, who are in need, and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
1: Right, grab a hold of your Bibles, please. We're in Romans chapter 12. You'll need that bit. Can anybody pass one down to George for us? Somebody grab one for George. You need one, don't you, mate? Brilliant. George, you need to sit up straight for me, mate. Good on you. Uh, better than that. Good lads, because I don't want you to fall asleep, because this is the most important thing you're going to hear all week. Isn't that right, people? Yeah. Now, come on, people. Last week, you left me hanging. Last week, from the moment I stood up, half of you, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, you were just like, listen, you've got to help me. Haven't you? Haven't you, George? Haven't you, George? Say, yes, Steve. Yes, Steve. Yes, Steve! Good, brilliant. I want to give you a round of applause just for that level of... Listen, can I tell you why it's important? Because we're going to deal with some real stuff today, and we're going to start with a story before we pray. Okay, we're going to start with a story. Uh, This happened several decades, many decades ago actually. A Turkish officer raided and looted an Armenian home. Uh, This was when there was great uh, grief around the, the end of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, He killed the aged parents and gave the daughters to the soldiers. You can imagine what happened there. And he kept the eldest daughter for himself. Now, sometime later, she escaped and she had trained as a nurse. She'd been traumatised by the events of that day. But as time passed, she found herself nursing in a ward of Turkish officers. One night, by the light of a lantern, she saw the face of the same officer who had ruined her family uh, and raped her and her sisters. She saw the face of that officer. Now, he was so gravely ill that without exceptional nursing care, he would die. Now, as the days passed and he recovered, one of the doctors one day came to him, stood over his bed and said to him, but for her devotion to you, you would die be dead. And he looked up at her and he said this, we've met before, haven't we? She said, yes, we have met before. Why didn't you kill me? He asked. She replied, I am a follower of him who said, love your enemies. Now, these last few weeks, we've been asking the question, what does it look like to live in view of the life-changing mercy of God? Was that the story of a young lady who lived with the life-changing story of God's mercy at the centre of her life? There's nothing fancy about it. It's living day by day, moment by moment, saying, is Jesus Christ real? Has He lived, died to pay for my sin, and does he reign today over all things? Then if that is the case, that mercy will come cascading down over everything we face, every moment of our day. And my question to you today is, are you willing to let that mercy in? Or has it gone a little bit cold? My guess is we need to pray, so let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we pray that if you really are that merciful God, if you are the present Lord, if the death of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection defeating sin and death and hell really is the most momentous moment in history, if he is reigning today and one day will come back again, please, Lord, please, Lord, help us to think about how we face our situations within our church and with regards to our enemies With that mercy cascading down into us and changing us and making us new. For we ask in the powerful and gracious name of Jesus. Amen. Brilliant. So that's what we're looking at today. How do we live with God's mercy in view? That's really, really hard, isn't it? And it just assumes that if Jesus really is that kind and gracious to me, it's going to infect everybody. every area of our life can i tell you straight off the bat if you're a believer here today if you've received jesus as your lord and savior you need to just let this percolate for a second you need to discipline your minds to make sure you're not letting it drift to anywhere else you need to discipline your mind to say what difference does it make what difference does it make that i am loved by god will i let that in right now george Or Nathan? Or Dean? Will I let that reshape me? Because it's easy to just say, oh, God loves me. But are you prepared to live moment by moment with a sense of his love for you? I know I'm loved because Jesus died for me. He saw my sin and rebellion... He saw my resistance to him, my spiritual blindness, my stubborn defiance. And though he would have been perfectly just in saying, Be gone, I will let you walk your own way in this life. And then when it comes to it, you will face judgment and face hell at the end of it. He stepped in and saved me for himself and for his purpose. And my problem now is that even if I've heard that or even if I've sung about that or even if I've walked in them doors a thousand times, My temptation every day is just to live as if my life's my own. Now, don't don't even go there. If Jesus gave his life for you, then he owns you. You belong to him and he is the best thing that has ever happened to you. And to live in the light of that mercy is to know joy, freedom, your very purpose to live now, there's so many commands and, and, and instructions in this little bit of the Bible. There's more than 30 of them. So what I'm going to do is pull them all together, and they're all answering this question. What does it mean to live in the light of God's mercy? How do we live differently? How do we let it come into the now and the present of our life? And I've got two main titles, okay? Uh, number one is uh, you'll show real love to the family. And second of all, you'll show real love to your enemies. And just to make it dead easy for you, and this is only if we've got time, if we run out of time, we ain't going to go there. uh, I've got three points under each one, so you can know where we're up to. I can't tell you whether they're all the same length. They're probably not. I've got no idea. We're going to try and move through reasonably quickly. So have a quick look down. Somebody read for us really loud and relatively quickly, because my time is short. uh, Verses 9 through to 16. Real love in the family. Real love in the family. Somebody read that for us, please. Don't mind who does it? Somebody read that for us. Make sure you got it in front of you. Tommy you got a copy in front of you, mate? Can you see it? Yeah. Okay. Brilliant, go for it. Love must be sincere.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: brilliant and as best I can tell all those things are just about what happens within the church family now remember church is not a club that we just roll up to and attend it's not because uh, I feel a a natural uh, draw towards these people or we all like the same thing or we've all got the same political views or we're all going to whatever no it's because Jesus called together a, a people to be a family centered on living under his mercy together we get that bit but look where it starts a sincere love In some versions, it says love must be genuine. Uh, In the original, it carries the idea there must be no hypocrisy in the way that you love. If you dig down to the level of uh, where those words come from, it literally says love must be without wax. You say, hold on, without wax? Well, back in the day, if you were a mason, and you, I know some of you in the room are mason by name, but if you were a mason and you built something out of masonry, or you did a carving, or you did a statue, or something like that, you carried wax in your pocket... In case you took a chunk out of the wrong place and you'd use the wax and you'd jam it back in to cover over the gap so it wasn't quite the real deal. So tradesmen back in the day, sometimes if they were expert master tradesmen, would advertise their gear that they're selling, their their, their masonry work, um, as without wax. Because it was the real deal, through and through. You could tap on it and it was the real deal. So here we're being told that there must be a genuineness of love. Remember, love isn't just a feeling. In fact, here it's more of a—it's an action. It's a pursuit of somebody else's well-being. So our church family, because it lives in the view of God's mercy and how God genuinely loves us and he pursues our best, we too will do that. Now, this will be uncomfortable. Look at the next two bits that it says after that in that verse. Love with sincerity. And what should you do? hate what is evil, and love what is good. So this tells you what real love looks like. You see, real love doesn't just give me what I want. My wife is at her very best, where she knows what is right for me, sees me trying to pursue my own selfishness, and she acts to do something about it. So the kind of love that you will get if you're part of this church family will tread on your selfish toes, If you're not close enough for it to tread on your selfish toes, then you're an idiot. You need to get close because God has a vision for your life, which is to purge you of your selfishness, your empty, petty desires, your niggliness, your awkwardness, and to reshape you so that you image forth, show off Jesus. And the way that he does that is he puts us into a church family with people who get on our nerves, press our buttons, our high maintenance, so that we may learn... To act with genuine love and put off all our selfishness. So I'm hoping that at one point or another, you are part of this family and somebody something really upsets you. I really hope that happens. In fact, we're only being church if that happens. If it upsets you, and it'll upset you for one of two reasons: either you're just touchy and you've got your bee in a bonnet against something that's just not that important, so you're the problem. Or it's because you've been close enough to somebody else who is hurting you a little bit. Either which way, you get to engage in this family process of sincere love that has a vision for somebody else's future. So listen, in our church, it's going to be sincere. It's going to be real. And it's okay to not be okay. We've got to be able to be honest about that. We're not going to pretend. Many of us are recovering from difficult things that have happened in our life. Or for, Lord, you know, please save us, spare us. But difficult things might come into our life. So we're recovering from that. It's okay to not be okay. But I tell you what. We're going to make it as hard as possible for you to stay not okay. We're going to help one another. We're going to... Speak words of love, grace and truth to one another. We're going to encourage one another to say, Do you know, Jesus' mercy makes all the difference. Love must be sincere. What's the next one? There's a claim. There's a claim. Let me read those next three verses as they come up. Uh, be devoted to one another. That's this idea of claim. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So here's this idea, this brotherly love, this familiar feel, um, familial feel. Stick close and stand by. Now that doesn't happen by accident, does it? And we have this funny relationship with, with, with relationship. On the one hand, we want to have people who are there for us, who know us, who understand us, who support us and encourage us. But we want to have all of that without putting any time, energy and effort in. And so often when we want all of that, we want it for selfish reasons and we don't want to do the hard work of doing that for other people. But here is this family who, well, they've they've got a claim on us. Oh, I don't own you, but if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which we belong to one another. And that has to show in the way in which we adjust our diaries, the way in which we spend our money, the way in which we say our prayers, every domain of that. So we're not like my cycling club. My cycling club's great. I have a lovely time with them. But um, the cycling club has one purpose, to go cycling. And so people roll up when it suits them and they try to be as reliable as possible. But there's a small group who try to keep everything running. But there's plenty of people who dip in and dip out. And, you know, it's like my cycling. It's there for me, my cycling. This church isn't there for you, for you to dip in and out of. We're here because we've got a claim on one another. We're there for one another because that's what God has called us to be. We have ties that blind us. My nan always used to say, blood is thicker than water. Whose blood was spilt so that we would be together? The most precious blood. Jesus' blood is what binds us together. So here's the test, whether you've got this bit or not. How inconvenient do you find church? If you don't find it inconvenient, that means that you're not being church. How uncomfortable do you find it? If you don't find it inconvenient and uncomfortable, then you're not what the Lord would want you to be towards church. God's mercy towards us changes everything. His love towards us was costly, so our commitment to one another will be costly. Which means that you need to say no to a whole stack of other stuff to say yes to us being a church family together. I'm just saying it how it is. It means you have to say no to some of your personal projects because they will take the best of you that you're supposed to give to other people. You have to say no to some of your hobbies and all the wonderful enticing things that the world would say, go and do that, live your life, have this experience. What you do is you say, no, I've been bought at a price for a purpose to love this weird bunch of people that the Lord saw fit to put me with and at the end of my days I will get judged against that rather than how tidy my kitchen is or how fast I can run a mile. Because he wants us to show to the world what happens when people come to know him. Rather than things getting broken up and scattered apart, he brings together a people to show his glory to the world. He shows off Jesus. So there is a claim. And look at how it works. Isn't it wonderful? You can just see a little bit of it in action there. You can see what's, ha- what, what's happening. Honor one another above yourselves. That's going on. He's like, Do you know what? I'm, I'm thinking of what, what? I'm thinking of how to, to bring out the best and to, and, to, and to show this person off rather than it all being about me what else am i doing there I, i'm never be lacking in it i love it when we get together on a monday night because usually when people come to our fellowship group on a monday night half the people are buzzing and bubbling and, and, and have been doing well spiritually and the other half are just like i just forgot about the lord all week and i don't know how to connect to him and it feels like there's a brick wall and what you've got is people who come together and they share their zeal and their encouragement and it keeps us all going Listen, if you want to grow spiritually, put yourself around people who are zealous for the Lord. And then be determined that as you get that, you will give that to other people. There's a sense of a shared struggle there. Can you see that there? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So what we do is we go through struggles with one another, saying, how can I pray for you? How can we pray for each other? What's going on in your life and how do I process that in the light of God's mercy? listen uh, time's running short i need to move on to the next one i've got to be uh, got to be oh actually hold on let me let me uh where's me no no i will move on to the next one which is We're different. okay? we're really different. Look down there at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And I've had to ask myself why that's sitting there. And I think it's because of what was going on in the Roman church at the time. So the Roman Church, for those of you who don't know, uh, it was made up of these two distinct groups who normally would never be anywhere near each other. Okay, uh, you know this is much worse than the reds and the blues being in the same room. This, this is they wouldn't normally mix. On the one hand, you've got your historical Jewish people who are very proud of their heritage, who have been deeply blessed by God, who have a picture for what it means to live for God and holy. Yet. They were part of the track record of a people who rejected Jesus. Then what you've got over here is you've got the pagans who've come to know Jesus. they would heard the message by one means or another. they would heard that there is grace going out to all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, no matter what uh, they've done, no matter where they've been. And so you've got these sort of religiously boned Jewish people and you've got these, these sort of uh, trying to, to, to break free of living in any which way they wanted to, pagan people, and they are together in one church, can you imagine that that would have been a little bit hectic? But the Lord meant it that way. He meant to put the most unlikely people together so that they would show off his grace and so that they would learn how to be humble. And in fact, you can see it there. C.S. Lewis' uh, famously said, always try and put cats and dogs together. It broadens their minds, okay and that's something that is going on here so if you think about this, if you took a if you just look at the number of people that we've got in here and the types of people that we've got in here, there is no group in the whole of speak that is di- as diverse as this group by age by gut background, by money, by political affiliation, by uh, skin color, by almost any of those things. We're a very diverse group. why? The Lord intended that so that we would start to do verses 14 to 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Out there, we're always looking for ways to set ourselves apart and say, I'm bigger and different. Now, what, what the gospel says is, there is always more about you that is the same than different. The most important things about you are the same. You need mercy from God. You, you can know his love and grace through Jesus Christ. You cannot get to heaven on your own. All your problems and fears and struggles need to be faced with him as Lord and King over everything. So all the other things are, de- uh, are details. Now I, I struggle with this. And you do too, I know this. So I thought I'd show how silly I am in the way that I struggle with it. I love to try to put myself in a different category and feel better than other people. A recent time when I found that, was just it was silly and it's very embarrassing, but you're just the same, so I don't mind confessing it to you. So here I am, I'm at Word Alive, and I had a badge. There's like 2,000 Christians there, and I'm one of sort of about 100 who've got a badge. Because I was on team. And so I wore my badge. I didn't think, think too seriously about it, but I just couldn't help but notice that I haven't got a badge. I'm so special because I've got a badge. Now, is that facile, ridiculous and childish? Yes, it's Steve. Facile, ridiculous and childish. Are you lot facile, ridiculous and childish? Yes! And if you don't think you are, form an orderly cue and I will point to each one of you, and the, to the degree that I know you, I will it will take me a grand total of about six and a half seconds to show how exactly facile, ridiculous, and childish each and every one of you are. Because we are Okay. Do you want to cue at first? It'll take take me about two and a half seconds with you, Linda. <laughs> okay? In fact, let's go. No, I right, right. said. <laughs> Why? The Lord puts us together to show us. To show us that we just need to be humble, and the thing that should be big for us is not our own pride, but is the mercy of God. Listen, we need to move on really quickly, and this is really important. Real love for your enemies. Somebody read for us, please, verses 17 through to 21. Verses 17 through to 21. Who's going to read that? George, I'm really glad you're here. That was very well read. Thank you, my friend. Right, OK. Now, I don't think you'll embarrass yourself by putting your hands up because uh, I think we'll all be self-condemning ourselves. But um, just to check across the room, put up your hand if you can think of somebody who doesn't really like you and you don't really like them. OK, Brilliant. What happens when we let God's mercy in on that when we remember who God is and what he's like, okay Well, this is what these last few verses are, and I don't want to you know the, the, we're going to do it in in something of a little bit of a funny way, but the reality is is that some of us have got enemies who have really gone out after us. The Roman church had got people who had really gone after them, and they hadn't just done it in such a way as to be like saying some nasty comments or or, or criticism or something like that. They were going after their family members to have them chucked in prison. That's an enemy, isn't it? That is an enemy. Somebody who's going after you to try and ensure that your future is as miserable as possible. Now there are subtle little ways in which people can do that. Some of you teenagers, you, you, you live under fear and threat of that every time you go to school. What is that horrible such and such going to say to me now to try and make me look bad in front of other people and make me feel isolated? Basically an enemy is anybody who is trying to do something to ruin your future in any small way at all. So here, how does what does God's mercy mean? How will we handle it differently? And we should look absolutely different. Terribly different in this one. Listen, when you're a Christian, it's not that you stop doing wrong things, or it's not that you stop having wrong things done to you. When you do wrong things, you handle it differently, you renounce it, you repent, and you pray for mercy. And when you have wrong things done to you, you don't fight back, pay back, deal with it in your own strength, and go and fix it. You trust knowing God's mercy. So let's have a look very quickly under these three things. Number one, don't, if somebody is out of order with you, don't react, but respond. A reaction is sort of gut instincts, just fly off, you know, almost unthinkingly. Don't react, you respond, verse 17 and 18. Why do we have to say this? Because the Lord knows, don't, you know, don't pay people back wrong. Why? Because we have this exerc- a very heavily exercised, over-exercised justice muscle. If we sense a wrong, we want something done about it, and there's an urgency to it. We want something done about it now, to the point where so often, if we've been wronged, we can't get any peace and rest until it's dealt with. Uh, we recently watched the, the O.J. Simpson documentary thing, dramatisation on, on Netflix. Uh, I don't know, eight or ten episodes about the, uh, rehearsing the, the O.J. Simpson trial. And of course, there's, in my opinion, a massive miscarriage of justice. And we got to the end of the last episode where uh, O.J. Simpson uh, is pronounced not guilty Clearly killed his wife and the other fella. And you've gone through the whole story. And me and Jane turned to each other and said, well, that was dissatisfying, wasn't it? Because we have this desire to see justice and right done. So, so often, if somebody wrongs us, we can't let it lie. We want it dealt with. No matter what it is they've done, we want it dealt with. We want to repay and get it fixed so often in revenge. But look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And and here's the warning for us. So often when we are wronged, when we are sinned against, you've heard me say this countless times, when we are sinned against, we don't respond sinlessly. So often we will respond just as badly as we have been treated. And two wrongs don't make a right. What they do is they close off lots of possibilities. So you think of the Lord Jesus at the cross So those guys who were nailing his hands to the cross, what does he say? Those words are phenomenal words that will echo down all of history. What does he say? Forgive them, Father, Father, for they knew not what they were doing. And moments later, the centurion who was over all of this said, surely this was a different kind of man. He watched how he died and how he received it. And he heard what Jesus said and he said, there is something different going on here. There is a bigger power at work in all of this. So often when you, I mean think about it, you're driving down the, you're driving down the road uh, or you're in the, the aisle at, at, at the Morrisons and somebody cuts you up and you want to make them pay. So what do you do? You shout abuse or you flip them the V's and in that moment you have momentarily felt powerful. Then the, the next moment you feel Small, because you've just done something that is small and shown how pathetic you are. And then what you've done is you've closed off any possibility of ever being able to speak to that person about Jesus. You've lost the ability to be a witness. Oh, you might have felt, look, big in your own eyes. But you've not done well what verse 17 there says. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Why does it say that? Because we want people to be saved and we want to be able to have a platform to be able to speak to them about Jesus. You dish it out on them, you can't be a witness to them anymore. Well, if you try, it'll just be a lot, lot harder. So, we don't respond sinlessly to being sinned against. And what we have to do is protect our witness because we live in view of God's mercy. So, we don't flip people the V's. We don't scream and shout at them. We don't yell back at the neighbours and say, well, they started it and did it first. What we do... Well, let's move on to the next thing, shall we? We trust things to God. Hold on a minute. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. We trust things to God. We do not make them pay. So verse 18 and 19. Uh, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Okay? These things show, show you that you believe God is present in the moment when you're wronged, is a big test for you and your faith. Do I actually believe that there is a present God who is with me and for me and is as concerned about right and wrong as I am? If you do, you're able to step back and say, right, I need to leave things to God. If not, then you will have to play God. So you think back of the times when you've lost your rag, you've mistreated anybody, or when you've been wronged, you have acted against them. It will be because in that moment you think you're better at dealing with things than God. I'm not prepared to leave it to him. But when you do leave it to him, you say two things really clearly. You show something of what God is like. He's the one who is patient with his enemies and doesn't treat people as their sins deserve. So you show what God is like and the second thing you do is you show that Jesus is enough for you. You show that you're content in him. You see, I don't want to be mastered by my desires to to build my little kingdom and have my world the way I want it to. I want Jesus Christ to rule over me and in that moment when I refuse to, to act against and I decide, Lord, in faith, I'm going to leave it to you to deal with it your way, I'm saying that your recompense, your comfort is enough for me. Can I tell you just very quickly, God does avenge. There's three ways in the Bible that he does that. Problem is you won't like them because they're not as immediate as you want them to be. But part of that for a second. Becky, you with me? Yeah. Part of that for a second. They're not as quick as you want them to be. And that's why you need patience and grace and trust to make them happen. Okay. Here are the three ways God deals with people. Okay, number one, according to Romans chapter one, he gives people over to their own sinfulness. You say, well, that's not so bad. I know people who are horribly sinful and they're having a great life. No, what happens is when the Lord gives people over to their sinfulness, their life and their personhood and their soul gets torn up, crunched up and ruined. People who are liars and tell lies... They can't form decent relationships and every relationship is a struggle because the person they're trying to relate to never knows whether they're telling the truth and something of how they were made to be gets taken from them. And I could go on and I haven't got time to go through countless different examples when people have got a callous heart. In fact, some of you have said to me when you've been wronged and we've sat, you've said to me, I really feel sorry for them if that's what they have to do. And that's your way of saying, Yes, God does does hand people over to themselves and there's a punishment contained within sin. Do you see that? You choose to sin, you choose to suffer and that is part of God's subtle, slow, over-the-long-haul judgment against people. Are you happy to leave that to God? So some of you girls are getting getting really treated badly in school by vain, mean, selfish, score-point, self-righteous girls. Can I tell you feel sorry for them, because that's the way they think about relationships. They won't be able to form decent relationships when they're they're older. God's judgment will work against them. The second way in which God's judgment works is um, uh, he's given appointed means to judge. We'll hear a little bit more about that next week, but he's given the state, he's given parents, and he's given the church who to some degree or another are able to exercise judgment against stuff done that is evil. State, obviously, through police, the criminal justice system, and it's not perfect. So you don't have to, you don't have to smack your brother because you hate him in that moment, because the Lord has given you parents to do it for you. So what you do is the way you exercise faith, is you go and you say, Dad, Ben, smack me in the face. And Dad, if he's read the Bible, goes back and says, I'll fix that. Prepare to be smacked, Ben. Okay? But you don't do it. Get it? Because the Lord has appointed authorities to do it. And the final way in which the Lord does judge is on that final judgment day. There is not a single wrong or a single sin that has been committed in all of history that won't go answered for. And sometimes we just have to be happy with that. In fact, it's great news. So trust things to God. Thirdly, and finally on this one, your real love for your enemies is to say to you, well, listen, don't... uh, Sorry, you overcome evil with good. Let's read those last two verses there and we'll see them. On the contrary, in other words, the opposite... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think we could summarize this by saying this. Make your enemies your friends. That's what the mercy of God does to us. It gives us the desire to make our enemies our friends. Because we want the best for them. Even that bit about, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You're, some of you are sitting there and thinking, yeah, I'd like to see his head put on fire. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not saying that. It's not going, yeah, let's burn his skull. <laughs> Brilliant. No, it's the sense of, when that sort of thing happens, it's the sense of, it will bring somebody shame that hopefully will lead them to repentance. Somebody's out of order with you, treat them nicely. My old pastor used to say, kill them with kindness in order that something good will happen. Why do we say this? If you attack back, you don't level the score. I know you think you do, but you don't level the score. If they've attacked you, it is evil one, good nil. If you attack back, it's evil two, good nil. Good is being overcome with evil. Evil wins and plays you like a puppet. So, if you let a person's sin overcome you, govern you, master you, so it controls your energy, your thought life, your emotional state, cripples your relationship with others, and hardens you to other people, if you let those things happen, who has won? Evil. Why would you want to be shaped by others' wrongs? Oh, I know it's hard. And in fact, it's inevitable that you'll be shaped. By evils others' evils against you unless you let the freshening, cleansing reality of God's mercy and what he has done and how he loves you cascade down on top of you and renew absolutely everything. You have to fight for that. It won't happen by accident. You have to turn towards the Lord and say, please would you let your goodness to me Shape me more than any of the horrible other things that other people have done to me. Rewrite me. Shape me by your mercy. And because time has virtually gone, I just want to finish with one story that I've told you probably three or four times before, but I never get uh, tired of telling you this, that is an illustration of how in the most difficult of moments, and it is a moment-by-moment thing in all of these things we've looked at, in the most difficult of moments, somebody has said, No to facing things on my own, and yes to living in the light of God's mercy in an unthinkable, almost supernatural manner. It's the story of uh, Corrie Ten Boom. You'll remember that she was, uh, her and her family got locked up in a German concentration camp because they had been trying to secure uh, the safety of some Jewish people. They'd been locked up by the Gestapo, put in a concentration camp. Her and her sister, Betsy was it? Yeah, Betsy. Um, Betsy had always had the stronger faith. Cory Tamboon was a bit sceptical and cynical about the Bible, but she tried to maintain her faith. But Betsy was the one who, who shared hope, spoke about Jesus while they're in the concentration camp. But she, uh, she sadly um, succumbed to all the pressure, the malnutrition, the abuse, and she died in prison. Whereas Cory survived. Now so, through that, Corey's faith grew, and after. The war, she would go round talking about the power of God's grace to make a difference in a life and God's mercy towards your enemies. She would speak about that. And I'll take up the story. Having said that, these are her words. In a church meeting, I saw him. The SS guard who had stood at the shower room door of the processing centre at Ravensbrook concentration camp. With the other guards he had often run his hand over naked bodies as they went by and he had responded callously to requests for help. He was the first of our actual jailers I had seen after the war and suddenly I was there all again. The heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain blanked face and when he came up to me as the church was emptying he said How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein to think as you say he has washed away my sins his hand was thrust out to shape mine but my hand stayed at my side angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me I tried to smile I struggled to raise my hand I could not I silently prayed Jesus I cannot forgive him Give me your forgiveness. And as I shook, sorry, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass. And in my heart, a love for this stranger grew that almost overwhelmed me. Our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, says he will meet us with the reality of his mercy as we seek to make small decisions every day to live in the light of it. So we will have a real and genuine love for our church family. And we will have a real and genuine love for our enemies. Because Christ loved us when we were his enemy. And he has called us into his family. Let's bow our head and pray before we sing again. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of this otherworldly kind of living that we're called to. I thank you that we're part of a church family that is seeking to do that and to grow in doing that. But we want to do it more, Lord. Please, would you help us? Would you help us to put off our selfishness and love genuinely within the church family? Please, Lord, would you help our brothers and sisters to stir us on? Would you help us to be those who stir and encourage others on? We pray, Lord, when we think of some of our enemies and the hurt done to us, and you know our desire to just dwell there and not move past it, but we thank you that your mercy means that it's not the end of the story. Your mercy is the end of the story. And we want to live, and we want to forgive, and we want to trust, and we want your strength and help so that we're not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you that you've done this in our lives up to now. Please, Lord, do it more and more, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.